Hello and welcome to Open Mind UFO Radio. I am your host Alejandro Rojas and I have with me my good friend Martin Goofball Willis. Yeah, that's me sometimes. Yes. Uh, Quite often, pretty much every show, which is uh, what people enjoy about, well, I should say what some people enjoy about the beginning of the show (laughs) is our goofball antics. And uh, so... I definitely appreciate your goofballness. Some people. Yeah. Right, right, right. Some, some. Yeah. I think it's many. But uh, just to inform people, because I'm informing this for those people who don't like it uh, so much that uh, to give people a little bit about the show, we cover credible UFO news and information kind of in a journalistic way. I'm a journalist. I write. So we look for substantiated and credible information. And if we speculate, we're going to let you know that at the beginning of the show, we review the news, Martin and I, and then I bring on the guest at the second and third segment. So if you're one of those people who do not enjoy the goofballness, actually, jocularity there's these uh hosts uh in denver who used to always say oh if you don't enjoy your jocularity um then you can just skip right up to 25 minutes in and get to the interview but uh, our guest today is mj benias and uh, he's great he is a um blogger an educator and a writer he's written a book he's been a field investigator with the mutual ufo network he's got a website called terra obscura and what i like about mj this is the second time i've had him on he's definitely more of a deep thinker he likes the sociological and philosophical aspects uh of all of this how it affects the culture in general and of course that's a topic that i love myself and this particular moment in time i think that's really important especially once we get to the news we're going to see that so uh i always love talking to mj and uh so we got him on he's got a new book called the ufo people a curious culture which is kind of about all these topics that he likes to speak on so i know you had him on last week right martin yeah last uh uh the week before last yes okay yeah He's a lot of fun. He is a lot I, of fun. I really like him a lot. Yeah. So last week I had on um, Anthony LaPay, and uh, I got some feedback that I was really screwing up his name, and I was calling him Andrew <laughs> occasionally when his name is Anthony. So I apologized for that because a lap is, is certainly not as, as nice as a LaPay. Were you saying his name correctly? I did, but that's uncharacteristic <laughs> right. of my normal... Yeah, pronunciation. So, and I apologize for that because he was an excellent uh, interview. And and as I said in the show last week, you know, I was traveling, and I kind of like to be honest, ducked into the bathroom on my cell to do the the interview, and I recorded it because I record all my interviews because I like to get my quotes exact, and because uh, this was going to be for print, 
I didn't realize. And then they thought it was going to be for audio and print. So they allowed me. So I said, hey, I'd more than love to, to post this audio. So I did. And yeah, a lot of people really liked all of the interviews that some of us got with him. Yeah, yeah, he is. Uh, uh, he's very articulate and uh, very interesting guy. Well, it's really interesting to hear from a conventional kind of, you know, investigative mm-hmm. journalist doing stuff like getting out there in, in war zones and, you know, covering military and stuff like that. It's interesting to hear from a guy like this what he thinks about UFOs, you know, and uh, right. and his reaction to the whole Pentagon UFO program and and to the stars and everything. So, uh, yeah, it was great to hear from him and his thoughts about, you know, how he felt going into the show Undisclosed, which is going to air Friday. That's right. Coming up. I can't wait. Exciting. Even though I've already seen it, I can't wait for the series. I can't wait for episode two. I know. we got to see the screeners. Yeah, we've got to see episode one, Martin and I. We've already talked about it. I've got a review out. We both really liked it. So i um, excited for all of you to see it on Friday. I shouldn't say all of you, though, because you and I both have a lot of friends that are not in the United States. And unfortunately, Mm. just like Project Blue Book, the television show, this isn't going to launch where it's going to be accessible to people outside of the States. There's a couple ways you can deal with that. You can be patient and wait because Project Blue Book has started now in other countries. However, a lot of people are saying, you know, if you go online, you can do these proxies. You can use these proxy services. They're kind of VPN. Uh, If you do that, then you can watch them. Wow, so they're geo-blocked, basically. Yes, they are geo-blocked. Wow, interesting. I had no idea. Yeah, they do that with TV and movies, and, and I'm, I don't understand the business and why they do all that, because it can be frustrating. And it is sad, because you know all of our European listeners or, or otherwise are, are, can't see the show or enjoy what we're talking about, and uh, I know that's frustrating for them. So, um, yeah, see what you can do. Look into the proxy thing. Uh, you yeah, know, it's only like five bucks a month or something. Yeah, you services. know what I would do too? Go to Open Minds UFO News Group, you know, our Facebook group. If you're on Facebook or on Twitter, you could do it there or, or any of our social media um, and post, you know, hey guys, I'm in, you know, this country and I'm trying to watch the show. How, how can I do it? And uh, we've got a lot of helpful people in there who I'm sure will pipe up. I'll make sure somebody pipes up mm. and says, here's how you do it. So you can uh, figure that out. Great idea. I never even thought of that, but you're totally right. Mm-hmm. That I, I always think, you know, because I we can watch it that everyone can, but I, that's absolutely true. When I've been traveling, I've seen that happen. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. It, it is frustrating. I've had that happen to me as well. All right. So let's go ahead and get into the news. There's a lot to, a lot to talk about there. So I'll go ahead. I'll let you start. All right. Well, um, you know, I wanted to jump right into this uh, New York Times article mm-hmm. called, Wow, What Is That? Navy Pilots Report Unexplained Flying Objects. Now, this just aired yesterday. Uh, Leslie Kane, Ralph Blumenthal, and uh, Helen Cooper are all uh, co-authored that article that just came out. Uh, it's funny, my, my son, who's more or less a skeptic of this topic, uh, wrote me yesterday um, in the middle of the day, like, look, this just just came out. And uh, so I thought that was pretty funny. And then uh, uh, later heard from Leslie um, on that. But anyway, what I'd really like to talk about, though, is a, a follow-up article that uh, Tyler Rogaway um, 
I know he's been on your show. Mm-hmm. He is uh, on the, I the war zone. One thing go too. Ahead. That yeah, that list of people that you just listed that wrote this new New York yes. Times article, they're the same crew who wrote the original New York Times en- that's right. article about ATIP that made a big deal. Yeah, that's right. I'll, although I don't know, you know, I mean, I, I only have this online. I don't believe it made it on, on the front page like the other one did, but I'm sure it's, it's definitely getting a lot of um, activity, I would imagine. Mm-hmm. So one of the things that uh, Tyler Rogaway points out in his article is uh, uh, something that was kind of, well, according to his, you know, I'm paraphrasing here, but the New York Times sort of glazed over is the radar tech um, that is key in this detection. Now, this goes back to um, off the East Coast um, and, and like 2015, um, you know, the, the Tic Tac course was 2004 on the West Coast. But this is on the East Coast in between Virginia and Florida. These uh, pilots were seeing um, these objects, and two of them have identified themselves. And uh, one of them is Lieutenant um, Danny Acoin, and the other one is, I'm looking for his name, Lieutenant Ryan Graves. Mm -hmm. Um, So they were both in F-A-18 Super Hornet, um, and they are out there with this new technology, and it's called um, A. ESA, which is Active Electronically Scanned Array. And formerly they had what was called PESA, which is a Passive Electronic uh, Scanned Array. And the advantage that they have now with the AS, um, with the AESA is it has a capability of, uh, the advantage of it is there's different modules and it can send out uh, several different frequencies. And that is uh, which they were never able to do before because um, originally the uh, passive one had a single source uh, split into hundreds of um, signals. So this they can send out all types of signals. So anyway, they're picking up things that they never picked up before. And this actually has something to do with all the sightings that they they see now. But they did uh, list the characteristics of what they were seeing um, of up to 11 hours of flight. Now, the one thing that I had a question, I don't know if you thought about this, Alejandro, but if they were actually seeing this and observing it for 11 hours, why didn't they, I don't want to say engage, but uh, why didn't they go and try to get really close to it and observe what it was doing? Well, they, I mean, that, that's what's interesting is they did. So apparently <clears throat> when these new radars came online, they started seeing these objects similar to like like what Kevin Day and and people in the Nimitz reported they saw them at higher elevations and dropping to lower elevations very quickly at times he, yeah. they said uh, specifically that they saw them at 30,000 feet 20,000 feet and right at the surface and you know uh, kind of bouncing in between or like you said often sitting there for hours and they're saying you know first of all the mechanics of something moving very quickly uh, the properties an aircraft has, for instance, let's take a uh, a Harrier that can hover in place. It's you you know that jet, mm-hmm. but it can't go very fast. So you're it's a right. trade off. Whereas mm-hmm. things that go very fast can't go very slow, or they'll fall out of the sky. So they don't understand. You know, this already is a characteristic that we we cannot achieve to to hover and go very fast at the same time. Uh, you know, Lieutenant Graves actually refers to that. 
So they're all freaked out about these things they're catching on radar. They did try to go look at them. In fact, Graves, uh, or I think it was Acoin, one of the pilots said that, um, and they were all on the Roosevelt, just so you, the Theodore Roosevelt, oh, yeah. they, uh, that's the aircraft carrier they were on. Mm-hmm. He says that he went on a couple times to go look for them, and he found them on radar. He got to the merge plot. You know, Fravor talks about that. That's where you're yep. in the same space, similar area to the object. And he could not visually see them. So <clears throat> at that point, they didn't know what was going on. They believed something was really there. Um, at that, They were thinking they must have been advanced drones that were being tested because they're training in, you know, military training areas. But that all changed when one day one of these things went zipping past two of the jets. So two of the jets are flying, uh, one in their wingman. They're 100 feet apart. And this object that looked like a cube with a, a circle around it, like a cube in a beach ball, some are describing it, or a cube mm. in a kind of a circular kind of force field or something. Fravor even spoke about this in Oregon because he knows these pilots and talked to him about this event. So it's like, yeah, these cubes in some kind of circular force field or something like that. But this thing went zipping past them and they told everybody and that freaked them all out. At that point, they were taking this very seriously because, of course, you know, that's hugely dangerous. Plus, to them... It indicated this isn't ours. Um, None of our guys would fly a test drone in between or or anywhere near us where it could put us in danger. So this cannot be ours. So really interesting. Tyler Rogaway now says, he's speculating, he's saying, well, it could still be ours. Just because it accidentally hit one of our planes or got close to that doesn't mean it's not ours. It could, could have been a mistake. He says, now, I'm not saying that it's definitely that that's the case, but we have to keep that, we have to consider that. And he's got a good point, you know, until we can absolutely rule out that it mm-hmm. is not some sort of advanced, you know, secret project, we can't rule it out. However, he makes the point that this is still extraordinary, just like he wrote about with the Nimitz encounter, because it proves that these objects exist, that objects moving at incredible speed uh, and using propulsion that, you know, we're not used to, uh, that can do these incredible things, they're real. They've got to be out there. Now the question is, are they ours or not? And he agrees that, uh, you know, the technology is so advanced, it's likely, well, it, it would be hard to say it's ours. But, of course, it would also be extraordinary to say it's not ours. So either yeah. scenario is is kind of far-fetched or at least difficult to conclude yeah wow no it's a it's really amazing to to think that it it, if it is our technology that we could be that far advanced and it it would be also amazing that um any nothing was ever leaked about it right and that's what fravor said uh some people had asked you know well what do do you think these things are ours uh, in fact, that was the only question I got in Oregon. Um, and some of the information about what Fravor had said in Oregon at the McMinnville conference of now, you know, over a week ago, has come out. Like, for instance, a video was posted and then it was yeah. taken down. I saw that. Taken down right away. <laughs> the good part is it confirmed what I had said because be- because, you know, uh, people were saying, oh, you did Alejandro exaggerate this or something, which I did not. Um like I told you, if anything, I put it mildly. Uh, but uh, that was taken down. 
Now, Danny Silva, and I've got the article on the front page in the UFO headlines, he wrote an article about all of this, and he called it UFOs hovering for days just sitting there. And he took some quotes from Fravor, and uh, so you could see some of what Fravor says there about these hovering objects. But one of the things he said is, uh, and I asked, I just wanted to hear his perspective, because some of the people, like one of the things that... um, some people had gotten frustrated with me about it as I really didn't put much stock into this idea that it was a missile being tested in the area in San Diego when mm. Fravor had his sighting. Because what Fravor describes is something sitting there, then uh, as he approaches it, it matches his maneuvers and then speeds off at a really fast speed that yeah. does not fit a missile whatsoever. Mm. So he says Plus that... No- Propulsion signature, nothing. Right, no propulsion signature, anything. He says that just like these guys on the Roosevelt, his first instinct was that must be some sort of top secret project. That was extraordinary, and it blew his mind, but he thought that's what it must be. Um, But over time, he says that he felt that couldn't be the case. He felt as more time goes on, it's more likely not ours because there's no way they could keep that secret. And he even referenced a couple of... projects that were black projects in the past that eventually we found out about and it's mm-hmm. his belief that there's we eventually find out you know when time passes five ten years we find out but uh, we haven't found out about you know these technologies so he feels strongly they are not ours um mm. by the way there are also skeptics who are talked about the gimbal video and it turns out it comes from the Roosevelt. So these guys said not only had did they mm, try to engage right. them, kind of go getting back to your question, you know, one of them did get that video of the thing moving close to the water and then the other video. So it seems like both the other two videos are from this Roosevelt um, incident. And that but, one is um, mm-hmm. that one is the one that was uh, on the first New York Times article also. Yeah, online, one of them right? was and then one of them wasn't. The one that's referred to as the gimbal, you yeah. see this object, and it seems to move in a weird Turns. way, rotate. Mm-hmm. Um, some skeptics have said that it's a regular jet, and that that is just the camera moving. Uh, even our good buddy Mark D'Antonio, that that is not indicating a, an object that's rotating. Well, Fravor spoke to that, and he said that's absolutely false. There's no way. And here's his argument, that they cannot rotate. A, an aircraft, as it fling, flies, he says... Airplanes have something called wings. You need your wings to fly. (laughs) If you turn at a 90 degree where your wings are above you, you're not achieving any lift and you'll fall out of the sky. And this thing didn't do that. Right. Right Right to whatever direction you're tipped. Yeah. So we Mm -hmm. see planes do that, right? Uh, As as novices, the rest of us, we see planes go sideways like that. But he makes a point. If you're going to do that, you have to bank. Because you have to make some G-forces for your wings to create the lift. The lift. Mm -hmm. The only people who will do that sometimes is the Blue Angels can do it in a way where they they kind of play with their tail, but they move slower and they still begin to fall. Um, But that's obviously not what this thing was doing. So this thing was definitely not, uh, you know, just a plane rotating or something like that. And and a lot of people have already proven that it wasn't just the, the, the optics moving. But when you listen to Fravor especially address this, these guys work with this equipment. They know this equipment very, very well. And they know the nature of other aircrafts that they're flying with um, very, very well. 
So you get the sense that, you know, um, I apologize to, to Mark and to others, but this guy's got a lot more experience with this equipment and the nature of, of mm-hmm. the objects that they're filming than our good buddies Mark D'Antonio and stuff do. Yeah, yeah, right. You know, one of the things on, in this article that just came out that they, they when they're describing the vehicles, they're saying that they're rotating. Mm, um, right. These are all rotating. And that's what it looks like in the gimbal. Right. Um, it looks like something that's actually rotating, so which strange. is another bizarre situation. Mm-hmm. But the part where you mentioned the cube cube going by with something rotating around it or, or, or like a force field or something around it, that is really fascinating. Isn't it freaky? Even Tyler is mm. like, this sounds like Star Trek. It sounds crazy. But he's like, it's real. If these pilots say it's real, it's real. These guys are pros. Because, mm-hmm. you know, Tyler works with defense that's what he does every day writes stories about defense and talks with pilots so and he said he even knew about a lot of these encounters before they were made public just because uh the word is spread inside of the community so Mm. really interesting another interesting thing is um lou elizondo was on coast to coast last night with george knapp uh, they mm. talked about a few things one of the few things they talked about is in the second episode there will be a map that a tip created about ufo hotspots so that sounds really interesting um let's see they also addressed a couple things such as lou getting attacked by different people online um you know and he said uh, he said one thing that i backed up too which was that uh you know some people and i guess we won't mention names lou didn't uh have said that you know they've they that Lou and others and TTSA has not reached out to them despite their requests. People who are kind of questioning Lou's integrity, and that's not true. He has reached out. He's reached out to practically everybody, and I've facilitated. Well, you know, to be honest, it was Greenwald, and um, you know, he did reach out to Greenwald, and Greenwald did not reciprocate. Um, unfortunately. So hopefully that'll happen over time. But another story came out too, speaking of Greenwald, which is that the Pentagon finally admits it investigates UFOs. So there is big questions uh, about um, whether or not the Pentagon released, the DOD released the UFO videos. They've admitted they have. And now this is a big story because finally, and we have something similar in this New York Times story, they've kind of changed their tune. Now they are fessing up. Um, and countering what they said in the past. In the past, they said, we don't know if ATIP was UFOs. We can't tell from our paperwork. And so people are like, see, look, they didn't even have anything to UFOs. But they made it very clear. They also in the past said that they, the ATIP program's closed and they're not looking into UFOs anymore. Um, well, they said ATIP was closed, essentially. That mm-hmm. also is not true. So they did say, come out and say that um, ATIP was investigating UAPs and that they still look into them and take them seriously. So this is pretty crazy. This is pretty cool. Yeah. This is the DOD admitting, you know, that uh, they did through ATIP look into UFOs and they continue to do so. Amazing. Another another major, you know, it's it's another really major story. It is. Yeah. Uh, and it's another admission. It, you know, it's another thing that... Uh, well, first of all, speaking of Leslie, a great reporter, it's another thing that the the New York Times and Leslie and the others told us to begin with that has been true. And of course, you know, Lou and uh, the two of the stars people have been telling us all 
all along the same stuff. So, you know, all of this stuff they've been telling us it keeps getting verified as being true. Another interesting thing is in this New York Times article, the DOD says that um, I think this quote is really important. Um, I'm going to find it real quick because it's it's even though we're almost running out of time, aren't we? But essentially, it's a DOD saying that, yes, people are reporting these objects. Uh, We do take them seriously. We don't know where they're coming from. Yeah. Basically says uh, no one at the Department of Defense is saying that the objects are extraterrestrial. And experts uh, emphasize, I wonder what experts, (laughs) emphasize that earthly explanations can generally be found for such incidents. Can generally be found, but they even said, we don't know who they are or where they're coming from, and that's what we need to find out. Yeah. Um, So really interesting. But we're out of time. Of course, all these stories you can find on the front page of openmind.tv. A couple other good stories that are out there on all of this um, as well. Yeah, right. All right. Well, time flies, huh, Martin? Yes, as always. It is time to go. So thanks for joining us once again, and let's go ahead and talk to MJ. I am very happy to welcome back to the show, MJ Benias. Hello. Alejandro, how are you? Good. How are you doing? Oh, I'm terrific. Thank you very much for having me on today. Thanks for uh, being here. It's my pleasure. You know what? I think I'm going to start off with, which is kind of strange, but it is kind of in the moment. Uh, Stan Friedman. Uh, it's, of course, it's very sad news that he passed. What was Stanton Friedman to you? Like, how did you first hear about him what are your like is your perspective on him and his work yeah i mean you know stanton was even though he was he was born in in the states he was a fellow canadian so um as a canadian you know he was one of those ufo researchers that um you know influences uh people like me i mean you know there's countless countless american uh, ufo researchers Mm -hmm. and, and and ufologists um, but but he was sort of a different breed, um, um, and I, I, I sort of I sort of joke. I, I I think part of it was because he was uh, Canadian. Uh, he was a very class. He was a very classy uh, ufologist and a very classy uh, researcher. Mm. Um, you know, he never really got into um, you know petty arguments with anyone. Um, you know, he just sort of did his own thing. Um, you know, he did his conference lectures and and all that. But he always kind of maintained a, a sort of um, I don't know, a, a sort of attitude of, of professionalism and respect, I think, for other people, at least those who, 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 who he sort of maybe liked. I don't know, at times, I'm sure he went after a few <laughs> people, but um, <laughs> um, ultimately, you know, he, he was sort of a class act. So um, I think he was, he was a role model for, for a lot of us, um, especially us Canadian UFO researchers. Mm-hmm. That makes sense. And you know what? Somebody said it, and I can't remember who, uh, maybe it was you, that uh, they were at a conference and they're like, I didn't really know him. The only interaction I had with him was he walked up to me and he said, hey, I'm glad you're wearing a tie. You're the, we're the only two speakers wearing a tie. And I No, that- I, I wish that was me, but no, it wasn't. <laughs> That's a good one, though. Yeah, I, I, I remember reading that actually as well. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, so it's, it's a big loss. And what do you think it means, you know, since you've been looking at the over the community overall and kind of the the 
effect on society uh, that this all has. What do you think it means to the field, Stan's passing? Well, I mean, like I mentioned earlier, we, we've definitely lost a role model. Um, I think there, there's been, you know, there's been a lot of talk in the UFO community over the last few days in regards to, in regards to who, who will replace, you know, Stanton Friedman, who will be the next Stanton Friedman. Um, and I think that that's, that's really, really sort of what this, this conversation is sort of about. Who, who can fill those shoes? And, and I would say at this point, you know, I'm not sure if anyone really can. Um, he sort of had his own, but um, it, it, it puts us, it puts the rest of us uh, to sort of the, to task now that we need to kind of fill in uh, that this, this huge gap that, that he's left. Um, you know, I don't, I didn't necessarily agree with, with Stanton on his ufological beliefs. You know, I, mm -hmm. I didn't actually always agree with, with how he approached, uh, the interpretation of the phenomenon, but, um, it doesn't mean that, that, um, you know, I thought he was wrong or, or, or we just had differing opinions on something. Um, but, you know, I always respected his work, um, he, he, you know, I wrote about it in a Mysterious Universe article. Um, you know, he was one of those funny individuals, you know, Philip Class went after him um, and even, you know, basically told him, you know, I'll give you $100 for every time you can prove um, this little U UFO thing, right? Like the MJ-12 documents, right? The typeface. Uh, you know, if you can prove the typeface on the MJ-12 documents is used in, in other um, reports and stuff like that, you know, I'll give you $100 for every instance. And sure enough, you know, Stanton provided him with 14 examples of other documents that had the same typeface. And, you know, class eventually paid him a grand to, uh, you know, as a, as a sort of, okay, you know, he made good on his bet. Um, you know, this is, this is who the guy was. Um, and as a community, I don't know, I don't know if anyone else is really like that, who can kind of carry that type of uh, gravitas, you know? Yeah, you know what you and you make a good point because you know the good and the evil in ufology it's kind of seen like Hello. Yeah, sorry about that. I'm going to have to make a note and fix that. But uh there's just some background noise here. Make a note of the time. Okay. Yeah, you know, there, it's, there's kind of the good and the evil. There, there's the Stanton versus the the Phil class. But what your the example you gave is kind of this good natured ribbing, where you don't really have that kind of the 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 people on either side these days, especially online, are are typically going at it and being very cruel and mean to each other often. I, I think I think that's a sign maybe of. Of, of what's changed, you know, I, I think Stanton took the the phenomenon seriously, mm -hmm. but he didn't take it too seriously. Um, you know, he he left room uh, in there to to laugh about it and and realize that you know it's just UFOs. Let's relax. You know that type of mentality. That's mm -hmm. sort of more relaxed. This isn't the be all and the end all of everything. I mean, he was also a family man, right? He had, he had, you know, wife, kids. So at the end of the day, he had other things in his life that were more important than the U of O phenomenon to him. Um, and I think that that's what maybe for some researchers, especially 
for for the researchers who who are online. UFOs have become sort of an all-consuming facet. Um, everything to them is UFOs, and they they they've forgotten to just sort of laugh at things sometimes. Like you say, that good-natured ribbing is no longer just good-natured ribbing. It's viewed as um, assault, and it's viewed <laughs> as um, uh, uh, harassment. Um, right. When in reality, you know, you, it, it's just UFOs, right? Let's just relax a little bit. Um, we don't need to to take everything so seriously. We need to be able to laugh at ourselves, and we need to be able to laugh at the phenomenon a little bit. Because at the end of the day, it is a little absurd, and it is a little silly. Um, and, and that's just part of it. That's just part of the phenomenon. It's just part of the whole game. Mm-hmm. Exactly. I think that you've put that very, very well. Um, and which kind of gets us to your book. So your book's been out for about a month now, and it's called The UFO People. Uh, on the cover is another icon who, unfortunately, I never got to meet before he passed away, who is Dr. J. Allen Hynek, who, fortunately, the public is getting to know uh, more through the History Channel show. But, you know, in a nutshell, if someone asked you, especially, and I'm sure they will, and in these interviews, they probably do. I mean, who are the UFO people? Yeah, this is this is sort of a, a really difficult question to answer um, because the whole the, the the purpose of the book is to try to figure out um, really what the UFO community is about, or at least to sort of paint as good a picture as possible. Um, and, and and what the book does is it problematizes our our interpretation of of what it means to be a subculture or to be a community. Mm-hmm. Um, there really is no dividing line that separates sort of the UFO community or the UFO people from really other groups. It gets really blurry. Um, and, and not only that, um, there's no real body or, or organization that governs our subculture, right? We have our, our, our identity is very fluid um, and it moves around a lot. Um, and not only that, it mixes in with other communities. So I know a lot of um, paranormal investigators who are interested in UFOs. Does that make them part of the UFO community? I know a lot of cryptozoologists who are interested in UFOs. I know a lot of UFO enthusiasts who are interested in Bigfoot. So ultimately, you know, there's a lot of this intermixing. And what we find is the UFO community or the UFO people is this sort of large, very blurry mix of people um, who we can kind of compartmentalize into smaller groups or smaller subcultures. But again, it is no hard and fast line. And, and, and the book kind of ultimately tries to, to call into question the very notion of ought there to be a differentiation between um, a UFO community and just the general public or the mainstream, right? We mm-hmm. often paint that line we say you know no there is a ufo subculture there is a ufo community and then there's the mainstream public and the book kind of challenges that notion the book um, calls into question the validity of that claim and whether um, the mainstream is actually more involved in in the ufo discourse than we care to think and the ufo community is much more involved in in the mainstream Um, and 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 fundamentally how do we coexist and how do we work together and function together? So that's one big aspect of the book um, that I try to address. Which, you know, I love that. And, and right now, uh, I think that this perspective or this this examination is is even more important because 
Um, it seems as though there is kind of a crisis of, of identity of this group because you're making this argument that you know, you all are more mainstream than you realize, and, and there are more mainstream in this than, than you may realize, where it seems like there are a lot of people uh, rebelling against that idea who are like, no, I'm a UFO person. I'm the one with the, the knowledge, and they don't know what I know. Right. And and the book clearly sort of draws that into, into sort of draws that idea out. Um, you know, <laughs> when you kind of look at the mythologies that exist in the mainstream about the UFO community and the UFO phenomenon itself. And then when you look at the mythologies that exist sort of about UFOs within the UFO community itself as well, we realize that these mythologies kind of bounce off one another. Um, they're sort of symbiotic, right? The world events, um, media culture, uh, books, TV, internet, you know, posters, whatever, all really tie into how we've interpreted the UFO phenomenon to be. Um, and we we often compartmentalize the UFO phenomenon in all of its strangeness into little boxes to try and make it make sense. So, you know, we like the notion of the greys, for example, because they're easy to understand versus sort of a more complicated, um, overarching phenomenon that's kind of universal or or, or archetypal in some way um, that we can't really master or get a get a grasp on. You know, I can understand a humanoid. I can't understand some weird mystical phenomena that doesn't make sense but often the ufo enigma occurs in weird mystical ways and sometimes it occurs in just a simple kind of gray showing up on your front door so you know we need to uncompartmentalize ourselves and we need to uncompartmentalize our ideology around the phenomenon to to um, start making sense of it um, and and the book goes into how media and how language and how culture and how economics and politics, how history all ties into the shaping of the UFO uh, as an idea, and then how our community has kind of processed this mythology over over the decades. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. I, it, and it's so interesting that you say that. And, you know, I know that because uh, we've talked before, you gravitate towards this, this idea of, you know, things are more complicated. There could be more answers out there. But it is, you know, uh, in the UFO community, and I think there, and people say this almost this exact thing. Why do we have to re-examine? Because we already know, you know, they've kind of fitted into this Star Trek world. We know there's the reptilians, there's the, these guys, there's the graves, and here's what they're doing and why. We already know this, so why do you have to question it? And uh, they get frustrated when you're like, well, do we really know that, you know? No, yeah, I, I agree. It, it's when you really start to to look at these ideas, you know, obviously you see them appearing in the media, you see them appearing in film and television and, and in books and in magazines and comic books, sort of before and after, like sort of simultaneously as they enter into the UFO community, right? You kind of see these ideas kind of merging and, and, and meshing. Um, you know, we, we have... Um, you know, action comics or, or um, uh, whatever, you know, told stories about strange aliens with large gray heads, you know, in the 1920s, well before sort of grays became a thing. So we, we, we can kind of question, you're right, how do we know that the reptilians are real or that there's an alien-human hybrid program? Like, how do we know this, right? And, and um, the, I think what, what we can kind of, rest on is people are having experiences 
right? So people are experiencing these strange things. People are experiencing being taken by insect-like aliens or Nordic-looking type aliens or whatever. But are those experiences objectively true in the sense that they're seeing sort of the objective reality of the situation or are these experiences occurring but they're being filtered through various mediums such as language and, and culture and, and society and, and just um, like a, almost a hyper real interpretation of, of the objective. So the brain is filtering information to make it make sense because what this individual is actually dealing with is so far removed from the human equation that it, it's nonsensical. Um, it, it doesn't compute in the human mind, so the human mind has to create a, a sort of a, a false reality, let's say. You know, that's one potential interpretation. Or the other interpretation is, hell, there could be reptilians running around for all we know, um, and they are right, I don't know. Um, but unfortunately, there's not enough evidence out there to to, to kind of rest your laurels on, on either thing. We're, we're still in kind of heavy speculation mode. As Valet sort of says, we haven't really done the basic work yet to get to to a firm understanding and grounding in what's actually going on. Mm -hmm. So when somebody tells me, you know, the reptilians are real, um, I, I kind of say, OK, maybe. But have you considered that? And then, you know, dot, 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 I can go a, down a lot of different paths with that person. Um, and, and maybe one of the paths is, yep, reptilians are real, but they might not be. And they might be dealing with something else entirely. Um, and what you saw was a reptilian, but it might not have actually been a reptilian. You know what I mean? <laughs> uh -huh. Right. Uh, and it is. And, and Well, your influence is. So is valet a big influence for you? Yeah, I would say Valet and, and Keel are, are both incredible influences for me um, because they, they, I think, create the most um, sort of, I don't know, the most sensical hypothesis of, of the phenomenon because I, I, I believe the phenomenon exists. Like I, I do believe that, that UFOs are an objective thing that exists outside of us. Some sort of intelligence is responsible for them, whatever it is. So I'm willing to go there. Like I'm willing to go to weird things happen and it's not us. I'm willing to stand on that stone. But after that, like beyond that stone, I don't know where to go, right? Mm -hmm. I'm, I'm not going to go down the road of it's aliens from another planet. I'm not going to go down the road that it's interdimensional beings from some other dimension. Uh, the only road that I can kind of see myself going down is, is that we're dealing with some sort of control system, as Valet would argue, or, or some sort of large paranormal system, as Valet would say, or we're dealing with, with some sort of intelligence that has maybe, you know, been with us forever and it sort of exists on a separate dimension. I don't know. Like, again, right, like these are sort of odd roads to go down, but these are the only ones that kind of make sense to me because I've mm -hmm. investigated UFO reports that range from just lights in the sky to, to sort of just regular prosaic kind of events to aliens to people seeing man-sized rabbits hop out of orbs. Um, so, you know, I've, I've, I've investigated some weird high strangeness stuff um, and to suggest it's kind of one option or the other doesn't make sense to me because something's wrong then, right? Like um, these aliens are then messing with us. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, well, and... I think what you're, what's interesting and what you're describing is, I think, really important. So, for instance, you know, uh, there's kind of two areas. There's 
there's the unknown and we can either make a mythology out of it so we're comfortable that we know everything or we can be more Socratic about it. And that's kind of the other side, which is you're never going to know. We don't know. You think you know this. You don't really know that, which is kind of where the territory valet and Kiel, especially Kiel, moved into, which is not necessarily a bad thing because in the middle you have science and there's a danger to resting on your laurels, believing you know the truth when you don't, um, even when the truth often and the research often leads you down some weird roads like you're talking about because these weird stories, some of them very credible, they happen. You know, we hear these really odd stories. Yeah, I agree. And that's why we have to, like you say, remain Socratic. And that's a great term to use. Um, and that's where, I, where I, I tend to stand, I think, because fundamentally, you know, we don't know and we have to keep asking questions um, and we have to remain vigilant and we have to remain critical. Um, I'll never go to someone and say, listen, you didn't have that experience, right? Because mm -hmm. I'm not one qualified to give them, like I'm not a psychologist or a psychiatrist, so I can't, I'm not necessarily qualified to deal with that. Um, so I will hear their story and I'll record their story and I'll treat their story with the respect it deserves. It's sort of their truth at the time. Um, but I'm also not going to adjust my personal philosophy or my personal opinion on the matter because of one story, right? It's going to take a lot more, a lot more evidence for me to, to do that. Um, you're really going to have to convince me and I'm going to require something beyond just storytelling and, and, you know, mythology to, to do that. So, you know, I don't want to come off sounding like a skeptic because, because I'm not a skeptic. Uh, I will, like I said, listen and I will be respectful and I will hear you out because, you know, if you experience something, you experience something. I, I'm not going to contradict that. Um, but I'm also not going to kind of throw the baby out with the bathwater here, right? We need mm -hmm. to we need to remain critical because the problem is once we stop being critical, we start believing everything, and that's why people believe there's reptilians in the Antarctica and they're controlling the American government and like you know we go down this rabbit hole of sort of conspiratorial insanity. Mm -hmm. And that's a problem. It, it makes us as a community, you know, assuming there is a UFO community, it makes us look foolish um, when when these voices become the popular voices. Mm -hmm. And that's I think, you know, that's what I love about this more intellectual kind of examination of all of this, because there are it is gray and all of this is so complicated. No pun intended. But, uh, you know, it's very complicated in that. um you know, terms and, and memes can arrive. And, and these things kind of influence the way we think about things and the way, and then they can galvanize communities. Whereas, like you mentioned earlier, and I think you have a good argument that, you know, to say there's a UFO community as if there's this community of people and we all have figured something out. That's not true at all because as much as there are those who are convinced, you know, oh, there are greys, Inside of that group, you've got, you know, oh, the, we've got these greys. They're so wonderful and they're here to help us. And then you have the other side. Oh, they're evil and they're trying to kill us. And they're both absolutely convinced. And they're both fairly large groups. Um, the point being that, you know, that uh, it's hard to call, you know, a, a group like that a community with such varying uh, ideas and such hard stances with those ideas. No, I, I agree, and and that's that's part of it, right? Um, there is no 
there's no agreement, right? There's no, <clears throat> there's no unified notion of what the UFO is or, or what the source of the UFO phenomenon is. I think we all, we do have an identity though. So even those people mm. who, who say the grades are evil or the grades are good or whatever, we all kind of have a common identity. I think we all speak a similar language. We all understand what everyone's talking about. So, you know, when we talk, you know, if somebody says Zeton, we know what we mean by that term. Or if somebody says, you know, EBE, we know what <laughs> that means, right? Uh-huh. We, all, we all share a similar lexicon of terms. So we are able to communicate as a subculture does. So there are some aspects to us that are very subcultural in the more sort of cultural study sense, in the very traditional sense, jargon being one. Um, we all also, I think, kind of share a common sort of mistrust of authority, I think, to at least to some extent. You know what I mean? All of us are totally. kind of willing to go down that, well, you know, maybe something is up, you know, mm-hmm. and, and it ranges, right, to people who are full out, the government is bad, and they're arming themselves um, you know, on like this conspiratorial level to, you know, people like me who generally trust the government, but kind of don't, um, mm-hmm. because, you know, they've done some dubious things in the past. Um, so, you know, we kind of all have this, this kind of countercultural um, bend to us, right? We all kind of look awry at the regular daily world, um, at our government, at authority, and, and we kind of recognize that something you know, maybe fishy is going on at, at, at the very least. Um, so, you know, when we talk about the subculture as being sort of in constant conflict, it is true. It's basically an anar- anarchy. But there, there are these little segments of, of similarities that we can work together on. Um, it's funny. Th- this year's Contact in the Desert is a perfect example. You know um, what? Hold on to that because I, I was thinking it'd be great if we can start applying examples. But we've got to go to break right now. So we'll be right back with MJ Benias right after this break. Those of you listening on the radio will hear uh, some commercials. The rest will hear a short musical interlude. Hang on tight. We'll be right back with Open Mind UFO Radio. Welcome back to Open Mind UFO Radio. I am having, I, I had a delightful conversation last time you were on, but I'm loving this as well. We're talking to MJ Benias, and um, we're actually, you know, you were talking about contact in the desert, and I think that'll be fun is to kind of practically apply some of the things that are happening right now uh, and how they apply to, to how you're looking at things. But you were about to say how contact in, in the desert is an example of uh, what you were just describing. Right. So when we look at the, the range of ideas within the UFO community, sort of, you know, it, it, like, I, like I mentioned earlier, it was a, it's sort of an anarchy. However, you know, we do share similarities. Contact in the desert is this sort of perfect example, especially this year's contact in the desert, where you have individuals who, who are on, on sort of one side, um, individuals such as David Wilcock, Corey Good, um, sharing sort of the same conference with, with individuals like Jacques Vallée. Um, <laughs> and the people who will attend this conference, and there's like Contact in the Desert is huge, um, everyone sort of while there are issues between these two notions, like in no way does Jacques Vallée agree with David Wilcock. Um, they're, they're 
they're not diametrically opposed, but they're pretty close. Um, everyone still kind of gets along, right? Um, we all <laughs> still kind of go. We all talk about our our, our experiences or the, our research, um, and generally, there's no real bad blood. Um, while we might, you know, not like each other and spit vitriol at each other on the internet generally it's it's relatively a peaceful scenario um, like there's no initially fist fights breaking out uh, right. in the halls of the resort because you don't believe in the reptilians and um you know you're a cabalist in the deep state like that doesn't happen right um, so at least not recently um so so we do have some semblance of, of unification um, we all kind of coexist together we all speak similar languages we all engage with each other um, do you hear a whistling right now? Sorry. Yeah. Do, 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 do. That's my washing machine. Uh, <laughs> well, sorry, you know what it reminds me of what you're describing here, which makes a lot of sense. It, it makes me think of a couple of things. First of all, it makes me think of, you know, you'll have, let's say a George Knapp there, or he's a great example. And then the next speaker will come on and talk about how the media is all corrupted. And, you know, all of right. the UFO stories in the media are, the MJ-12 is dictating. And, you know, we just heard from George Knapp, who described how he came up with his stories. And, and it also reminds me of, you know, some of the younger people won't remember Bugs Bunny shows, but uh, there was uh, the wily coyote and the sheepdog. Of course, the wily coyote is trying to get the sheep and the sheepdog's beating him up and, and everything. But uh, then the whistle would blow and they would go to the time clock and they would clock in hey, and yeah. say hello to each other. It's so funny. Well, and it's so true, right? I mean, literally, the conference, UFO conferences are, are quite interesting because you will have speakers sort of totally disagree with each other. Um, and then at times, like, I wonder, you know, the audience just kind of sits there and like nods and smiles during both. And you're like, wait, how do you agree with these? I'm confused. They're both saying the opposite things. I don't understand why you agree, you know? Um, so, uh, yeah, I do find it humorous <sighs> at times. That is the one that really gets me. I mean, people will go to a lecture. Yeah. And this will be a guy who will be talking about, well, using the example that I was using before, who will talk about, oh, the greys are real. I've met them and I've talked to them and they're they're wonderful and they're helping us out. And here's what they've done to help us throughout history. And people will come out and go, oh, my gosh, that was absolutely amazing. And then yeah. they'll come out of the next lecture. And this this lecture just said, oh, the greys are evil. They're screwing us. They're doing all this terrible stuff to us. And they'll come out. Oh, my gosh, that talk was amazing. And I'll ask people. Uh, well, how could you, the last speaker was saying that this person is wrong and there's no way that they're right and, and had a totally different view. And people will just kind of look at you and just say, well, I don't know. I think there could be truth to both. <laughs> and it, it that's what uh, really, that is truly a correct usage of the, the term of the, um, um, where you believe two different things. And insanity? They're both completely opposite of each other. Like oh, cognitive man. dissonance? Cognitive dissonance. Is that what it is? Exactly. And, you know, people throw that term around all the time, but they completely misuse it. They say, yeah. oh, there's cognitive dissonance because we know aliens are real, but people don't believe it. And it's like, no. You know, people no. don't know that. That's why I, it's when you absolutely believe in two different opposite things. That's when things get screwy. It's it's really funny. It's It's... But again, it's it's the community and just the way I think we we function. Like I said, we at times 
want to, to stick together um, because we have this fear that, that there's sort of this larger group outside of us, this sort of mainstream public that, um, that, that is on the attack. Um, and it's not necessarily true, um, but we, we, you know, cultures will, will clump together to, for sort of out, out of self-preservation. So I think that, that that happens, even though once we're all together inside the group, we, we like start to fight with one another, right? Um, mm-hmm. which, which you sort of see all the time in the UFO community, this, these sort of, um, conflicts that arise between individuals and, and often over just like, like we were talking about much earlier class and, um, Friedman, you know, over some ribbing that occurs and um, it blows up into all a war where, where lines are being drawn and you need to pick a side and you're either with us or you're against us. And, you know, you, if, if you don't believe in what we believe in, we'll name and shame you. And like there's, it, it becomes right. quite bad. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. Yep. I've been name and shamed. Have you been name and shamed? Sure you oh. have. I'm sure I have. Yeah, I've, I've, you know, once in a while you say things on a podcast or something, and then people go after you, and you're just like, okay, relax. And then you know that that didn't help. Like when you tell people to relax, it doesn't. They don't yeah. relax. In fact, they no. become angry. Yeah. So there's yeah. no winning. You know what? You and you know, there's another faction of this that I'd love to hear your perspective on too. So getting back to valet, valet. You know, there's a talk I do on religion and UFOs, and I'm uh, essentially drawing similarities. And valet had a great point all the way back in the 70s when he, that he addressed the UN. He said the government really has to take the lead on the research and all of this because if you don't, then the mythologists and the conspiracists they're all just going to make stuff up. And we're going to have UFO religions and we're going to have a lot of confusion out there that will be generated from the public. If you don't get involved, then kind of help guide the public. Um, but nowadays, coming into the, the present, that may be viewed as a bit of a naive kind of perception that we would want to trust the government. And then here comes the government. Here comes uh, Lou Elizondo and ATIP and the Navy saying we're going to do, you know, create these UFO guidelines. So now you have a third party that is kind of trying to guide us. But is this third party a guiding light or is it, you know, it can this voice be completely trusted? Right. Yeah. You know, it's, it's, it's really murky because a huge aspect of the conspiratorial sort of anti-government nature of the UFO discourse, um, a, a good chunk of it didn't all start, but a, a good chunk of it began in the 1980s um, after the whole Doty, Benowitz, Bill Moore thing. Um, you had a huge sort of uproar in the UFO, UFO community because one of their own was used as a sort of active disinformation agent and, and spy, basically, as Bill Moore sort of admitted in, I think it was 89. Mm-hmm. So you had a whole group of, of UFO sort of enthusiasts and, and, and uh, researchers who went through this era where massive distrust was formed for the government because the belief was that the government purposefully disinforms the public on the UFO phenomenon. Tie that in with every single kind of tropish mythology of alien bodies and bunkers, um, you know, Dulce, Dulce, New Mexico being some massive underground cavernous, you know, base where aliens got into laser gun fights with Marines. Like, you know, whatever, right? Like this, this massive, strange collection of, of myths and stories spun out in the 1980s to form really 
what we're dealing with, I think, today. Mm -hmm. There's always been mistrust. Kehoe talked about it. But it wasn't to the same effect, I don't think, as it as it sort of occurred in the eighties and into right. now. <clears throat> and and really what what occurred in the late eighties and into the nineties was really the seeds of of the disclosure movement, right? The government knows everything. Not only that, they have bodies. They have, you know, they have, have downed UFOs that they've recovered at crash sites and they're storing them and they're reverse engineering them and the whole Bob Lazar thing, right? Like th really you got to the, the seeds of, of this notion of disclosure really started to, to sort of plant and take root in the eighties and the nineties. And now we're dealing with the full blown plant, right? Like we're dealing with actually a forest that is disclosure <laughs> right. right now, this disclosure movement, right? Exopolitics. Um, and you know, it's really tough to, to pull yourself out of that history because ultimately our culture is formed by that history. The UFO community is, is, is formulated by those historical ideas. And now we're, we're having to try and disassociate ourselves from that. No one wants to be another Benowitz, right? And no one wants to bump into another Doty. Sorry, Richard. Mm -hmm. Um, but but no one right. does right. No one wants to 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 we become do. that that guy. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So we we there's a lot of caution I think in the UFO community because we've been duped before. Mm -hmm. We've been duped since the 50s, but we've been duped before, and it and it really stung in the 80s. Um, so so I can imagine why some. UFO researchers, especially those who lived through the 80s and were really into UFOs in the 80s and were kind of part of that 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 collection of people, are, are going to remain hesitant and are going to remain cautious with this whole A-tip, you know, to the stars thing. Um, the younger generation, people like myself who were not involved in the 80s, that's history to me. It's a history lesson. It's not something I experienced personally. So, so, you know, I'm going to approach it from a different angle, potentially. I'm not going to have the same reservations. However, I'm also not an, you know, an idiot and I'm not going to necessarily approach it blindly either and, and just, you know, jump into the pool without looking what's in the water first. Um, so, so I think, you know, <laughs> you know, you're, to, to get the long way around here to, to your question to answer it, um, is, is there, there, there needs to sort of still be vigilance. I think I think we still need to kind of be critical. We need to be open-minded that we're not being duped, um, or this isn't some sort of government thing. But you know, we also need to kind of pay attention to the history that that's that's been with the UFO community for a long time. Um, there is a history of disinformation and, and manipulation to to manage the message, um, to manu as, as Noam Chomsky says, to manufacture our consent. Um, because ultimately, that's kind of what a lot of UFO discourse is, right? You're manufacturing stories mm -hmm. so that we buy into them. Right. Uh, and then we, we chase that goose versus sort of the actual objective. Mm -hmm. Right. That makes sense. Yeah. Um, and what inspired you to do this? What inspired you to write the book? Um, well, like in university, my, my background is in culture studies and critical theory and, and philosophy and history. So... I, my interest is in how communities form and how cultures form. 
Um, and I've always kind of been into UFOs and science fiction and, and, and that kind of thing. So it was kind of just a natural progression for me. I met some interesting people. Um, I met Chris Rakowski, who kind of pushed me into this world. Um, I started doing research, realized how interesting it was, and, and, and that you know the UFO community was a very unique subculture. Um, I'm prepared to argue, and I do argue in the book, that the UFO community is, is unlike all other subcultures. Um, because we're not just... Um, we're not just uh, about UFOs. There's a whole bunch of other stuff going on with the UFO community. There's there's religious, like you said earlier, there's sort of a religious component. There's um, a philosophical component. There's an economic component. There's a political component. Um, so when we compare ourselves to other subcultures, not many have uh, the same. Uh, not many have have the same sort of varied array of, of ideologies and 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 I sort of things that structure identity like we do. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so I argue sort of towards the end of the book that we need to look at the UFO subculture differently. Um, we are not a subculture per se, but we're actually, and I refer to us, I sort of, I'm, I sort of use the term we're an exoculture um, because it's not that we're alien in any way, but we, we sort of mirror this alien in a sense. We are, we are other um, we're, we're so othered from the mainstream, we kind of challenge the mainstream and toss it on its head um, and force it to kind of look at itself um, because we almost represent it in some weird mirror way. So I don't want to spoil too much about the book, but that's kind of where the book concludes, mm-hmm. uh, that, that we are so different from other subcultures that we can't really refer to ourselves as a subculture. See, and I think that's a great argument because it's something, of course, I'm thinking of all the time in positioning. Um, you know, where, where do we position ourselves and how do I position myself or how with open minds, how do we position open minds trying to be a journalistic organization that is more akin to uh, organizations that are not in the UFO community, that are, you know, news organizations. And, right. and I even find that kind of dichotomy with my fellow people in the press where it's kind of like, uh, you know, when it. Luckily, they're they're usually very open, especially uh, the publicists and stuff. But scientists, not so much. It's kind of like they do see a difference between UFO people and, and other people. And it, it's very odd. And even as you're speaking, I'm thinking of what are other groups uh, that are similar? And I can't think of one. Yeah, no, no. I would say there's there's not really other. There's no there's not many other subcultures that mm-hmm. have in their sort of structure of identity, something that could potentially invade the planet. You know what I mean? Like no, right. no one's really dealing with that in their subculture. Um, so we have sort of incredible political ideologies present um, in, in our subculture. And we often lap in these incredible conspiratorial communities, right? Um, the QAnon conspiracies has some has somehow kind of integrated into right. the UFO community, right? Um, you have sort of the deep state and, and sort of cabalism and, and, and Luciferianism integrating itself into the UFO community. Right. right? So, so we're, well, we're this odd community of, of individuals who have this sort of weird stuff kind of constantly popping into it. And like I said, it often does have political movements. There's, there's, I was talking to someone recently, there's a, a UFO, um, he's a UFO guy. He's kind of an enthusiast, but uh, he, he talks about how like Marxism and communism and socialism are starting mm. to kind of, and very highly leftist um, ideologies starting to kind of find themselves into UFO communities. So, um, you know, we, we, we're, we're, we're evolving and we're changing. Um, mm-hmm. It's an interesting little community we live in. Um, 
and yeah. sort of growing. I mean, it, it's morphing. It's kind of like um, as it, 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 this information, especially this new, more credible information, as the Navy adopts, you know, kind of a pro-UFO stance, it, it, the, it seems like the concept uh, of this community kind of grows and at the same time, and maybe this is a fear with a lot of people, um, dissipates in a way as far as um, its cohesiveness. Sure. Yeah, I, I agree. I think if I think if to the stars has has sort of shown us anything, um, it's that as technology improves, um, especially in regards to military technology, um, we're starting to get evidence now of of potential you know UFO events or or paranormal inc- incidents that can't just be written off as as a pilot seeing something or as you know a radar op- a radar operative who just didn't get too much just who hasn't gotten enough sleep, right? Like now there's right. enough technology now that we're starting to track a lot of the stuff and we're getting a lot of corroborative evidence uh, of, of different phenomena. You know, we can, you know, I, I'm sure we can have a debate as to, you know, the validity of, of some of these cases, but regardless, what's not in question is um, we're getting a lot better at tracking stuff and seeing stuff. Um, all of our technology is getting much more, um, uh, conducive to seeing stuff that it shouldn't see, right? Um, so, so this is going to definitely change the UFO, the UFO discourse, right? Um, TTSA, as as a cultural movement, has shifted the discourse already. The, UF, the ufology and UFO research is now different because of Tom DeLonge, Lou Elizondo, and the rest coming together. What, and again, we can debate whether it's better or worse. That's not what I'm here to talk about. Right. All I'm here to talk about is just the, the discourse has shifted, right? We, we now view the UFO phenomenon differently than we did in 2016. So, so I think that, that we're going to see the importance of TTSA the further down in time or the further sort of forward in time we go. Right. Um, and, and, and again, I want, I want to stress, like, I, what I mean by importance is their influence. Um, mm-hmm. And again... I don't want to talk about good or bad. I just want to kind of talk about that they are quite uh, an importantly sort of influential cultural organization for our subculture. Um, and I wrote in 2017, like, there's no point in talking about whether to, to the stars is good or bad. It doesn't matter. What's going to happen though is it's going to really change things. It's going to change the game. And 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 I I I stated this two years ago, and and I'm happy that I'm, I'm okay to kind of keep falling back on those words because, because I, I think I'm right. And I think it's going to play out. Um, we're dealing with, with something that, that like something's begun and we're not sure where it's going and, and it's going to become totally different in, in five years. The conversation we're going to be having in five years is going to be unbelievable. I think you're right. And you know, what's in, what I find interesting too, is, uh, as people kind of who view themselves, uh, who really, that identity is around all of this ufo stuff i think that they can they sometimes feel entitled or at least to have uh to be able to say you know well, well you're not one of us because you weren't here uh in the get-go and you're a tom DeLong follower you know and and you you can't be one of us we're not accepting you but really when you have a especially someone like him who already has this very cohesive strong community built and if they say, hey, we're here, there's nothing you can do about it. They're absolutely right. There is nothing. 
any uh, anybody who would wish to do something about it could do something about it. So despite how people may want things to go, um, you know, they're, it's kind of this, these major shifts that are happening despite people liking them or not. Right. Yeah, I, I agree that you see all these feuds online that occur right between different groups and different individuals within the UFO community as to whether TTSA is good or bad or whether their evidence is good or bad. And I personally have have been on both sides, you know, like I'm perfectly fine to point out that um, the the chain of custody documentation on some of this stuff is still missing or it's, we don't have it yet. Maybe it's still classified, whatever. The point is, we're not really sure where some of this content comes from. And that's a fair statement. I'm not being critical in the, I think TTSA is good or bad by saying that. I'm just simply pointing it out because I, I tend to believe I'm a hack journalist um, <laughs> whose duty it is to kind of point that stuff out. Mm-hmm. So so where people kind of get stuck, though, is, is again, in that you're either with us or against us mentality, right. like you mentioned, right? Um, and, and fundamentally, it doesn't matter. Like, fundamentally, it doesn't matter whether you're pro-TTSA or anti-TTSA, because that ship has sailed. Like you're at this point, you're kind of pissing into the wind now. Like, you know, like exactly. move on, right? Move on because it's here and it's not going anywhere. Um, and at the end of the day, all the people who are pro TTSA, all the people to all the people who are anti TTSA, they're not going anywhere either. Right. So just stop yelling at each other. Right. <laughs> it's a distraction. Like you're, you're clogging up my Twitter feed. Um, <laughs> And let me get to the stuff I actually need to look at in order to do proper research or stay in touch with the people I need to stay in touch with. So, you know, that, that's that's my inherent my inherent beef with with the UFO community sometimes is is we, we waste a lot of time, I think, um, going after one another for things that we can't control anymore. Right. Um, you know, if 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 to the stars is the boulder that's rolling down the mountain um there's no point standing in front of it because you're just going to get hit or you're going to jump out of the way, you know, mm. um, that, that, that ball's rolling. So I don't know. You that's don't need to important... follow it or anything, but yeah, yeah. I, I think that's an important message. You got to deal cause it's here. Yeah. So yeah, cool. yeah. I guess my final question would be, cause we're about out of time is the future. What do you see uh, as a future for this um, UFO community or, or, for, I guess, the impact on uh, this interest in, in the broader society. Yeah, <clears throat> I think I think we're going to see a few things. I think we're going to see, like like I mentioned, sort of just now, TTSA's influence sort of growing and spreading. We're going to see, I think, a lot more public discourse uh, in the mainstream concerning sure. UFOs. What's not going to change is, is not going to be discussions about, you know, intelligent others or aliens or, you know, anything like that. It's going to be kind of the same status quo line of people are seeing unidentified things in the sky. It doesn't mean it's aliens. It's just they're unidentified. So, you know, let's start looking at this a little closer. So I think that's going. I think we're going to kind of see that shift to, to a, a more open discourse about um, the fact that anomalous phenomena occur. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that's going to be one shift. I think we're we're going to start to see a slow decline, if it's not already happening, of, of some of these other individuals who um, make bold claims um, uh, about you know being soldiers on Mars fighting blue chickens 
Um, I think we're going to start to see that stuff wane a little bit. You're always going to have kind of the UFO religious aspect, but I think right. that sort of group um, is going to, um, the, the, the steam of that is going to start depleting and they're going to just kind of run out of steam within the next five years or so. I think, I think that people are going to move on. Um, those are sort of my two predictions. Um, at least because I think the UFO, I think we're going to go through a wave of UFO sort of enlightenment in the next five years. I think the, the scientific coalition for ufology is a good move. I think they are going to maybe shed some more light at least intellectually on the phenomenon. And I think people who are interested in UFOs are going to jump on that bandwagon rather than, you know, time traveling humans and, and, and sort of the more ridiculous aspects of, of, of the discourse. Sorry, mm-hmm. I don't mean to the term ridiculous, the more, um, out there. Right. Um, interpretations of, of the discourse and because course, at the end of the day we're right. all kind of unified by our interest in the ufo phenomenon and right. if we can if we can achieve that interest by looking at it in ways that make sense we're going to do that versus going to ways that don't make sense mm-hmm. doesn't mean the far out stuff's going to disappear it will always sort of be there right but It'll maybe reined in a bit. I mean, because of course it, so. you have conspiracies in in every genre of of thought, and so yeah. they'll certainly be there, but maybe just not quite as wild as it is. Yeah, I think I think we'll see a growth of 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 ufology that is, like I said, more more reasoned, more rational, more logical. I think I think that's going to occur. We're going to it goes through waves. I think it's going to mm-hmm. kind of go up and down. So I think we're going to kind of enter that era for the next little bit. Mm-hmm. I'm sure eventually that will go away and we'll go back to the totally woo-woo, like <laughs> wild stuff. But, um, you know, we're going to enjoy for the next few years, hopefully, um, this more rational version of ufology. Well, this has been an absolutely fascinating conversation. Where is the best place for people to go to get more MJ and also to get your book? Sure. So um, if you want to buy my book, it's available all over where books are sold. Um, the, you know, Amazon, Barnes and Noble, uh, all those places. Uh, however, if you want sort of the one stop shop for, for my content, you can go to my website, which is www.mjbenias.com or my blog, which is www.terraobscura.net. Um, and that will link to everything that, that I do, all my different articles. Um, so you can, you can check those two out as well as my YouTube channel. Um, it's brand new. Well, it's not brand new. It's a couple <laughs> months old now, but, um, my YouTube channel is, uh, youtube.com forward slash MJ or you can just go to YouTube and type in my name, MJ Benias. Um, and, and I'm trying to actually get to a thousand subscribers by July 31st and we're getting close. So, uh, if you're on the YouTube and you, you sort of see my content, um, please go to my channel and, and click subscribe. I release uh, a video every Tuesday and I have my live show every Thursday called Cafe Obscura. So there's always plenty of new stuff popping up on that channel. Well, you know what? There was a lot I wanted to talk to you, especially related to your YouTube and some of what you've been releasing there. But you know what? We'll just do this again in a few weeks and then maybe we can help generate some more uh, likes for your page and everything there. Uh, that way but yeah let's do this again in a few weeks to talk about some of those other topics i wanted to cover the book uh stuff right now but thank you so much that was super interesting and uh thanks again for coming on the show 
It has been a pleasure. It's always an honor to be on Open Minds. Thank you. Thank you so much to MJ for being on the show once again. Be sure to check him out at Terra Obscura. That is terraobscura.net. You might even have a hard time spelling that. It's T-E-R-R-A, second word, O-B-S-C-U-R-A. If you just Google that, you'll find him. I'm sure if you just Google his name, you can spell his last name B-A-N-I-A-S, M-J Benias. So I love these talks. I mean, uh, a lot of you are like, you know, I want to hear more about TTSA and hate tip. Of course, we've been beating that to death, but there's more and more news coming out on a regular basis. Like you heard that me and Martin discussing at the beginning of the show. Uh, however, I think this stuff is important too. Self-reflective, you know, thinking of the effect on society as a whole, and then also, you know, how we fit into things. And uh, I think that this discussion is really important because I think he, he's very insightful in this uh, idea of, you know, this this non-cohesiveness when it comes into interest in these sort of things. So I thought that was a great discussion. Very uh, insightful. So I highly recommend that you all follow what MJ is up to and check him out at Terra Obscura. I also want to thank those of you who are new Patreon patrons. So thank you to Kevin, Duncan, Frode, Mark, Jamie, Frode. I'm not sure if I'm spelling that. Maybe it was Frode. I'm not sure if I'm saying that correctly, but uh, thank you all Anyway, uh, we had that t-shirt giveaway last time, so that will be getting mailed out soon to the winner. And then I'll be posting on Patreon um, some more stuff here soon also. Now, I did say that when I went to Oregon, I'd post some uh, exclusive stuff. It just, you know what? It's hard for me because I don't, I like to share with everybody what I'm up to. So I was going to do that uh, last bit of audio, you know, exclusive for just my patrons, but sorry, patrons, I uh, decided to share that with everybody. However, I do have some cool stuff that I will be sharing with just you all. And the cool thing about being a patron, too, is you keep up to speed on everything I'm doing because I update and post there, and uh, then we can converse back and forth as well. It's definitely the best way to converse with me as far as unless you send me an email because... uh, on social media, you know, it's rare that I can get to answer everybody who asks me questions. But um, so anyway, thank you so much to my patrons. Again, we'll have uh, more exclusive info. And for those of you who are not patrons on my Patreon, please consider consider doing so because I do giveaways. I give exclusive information and it helps me keep in this business because if I'm not making money, I can't really do much. And, you know, this is in defense of people who do charge. I know a lot of you uh, pay for Martin Willis's podcast, uh, you know, and I do not, you'll notice in, in entertainment or in media, especially in there, everybody's figuring out how to make money these days online. And this stuff, you can't get it done without money. A lot of people complain, you know, why do we have to charge for this, that, or the other? But if we weren't charging, then it wouldn't happen. That's just the way the world works. Nothing's for free. And not all of us are billionaires like Bigelow or Elon Musk or something where we can spend a ton of money and time doing this. So, you know, that's why you should. Anybody that you like that's doing some good work, you know, patronize them. Don't complain about having to pay to see one of their lectures or something. Uh, you should be. You should feel good about supporting these people and their work. I certainly do. I buy books from these people. Um, I love to go on and uh, 
I'm a patron for several other people on Patreon myself. So a lot of good stuff going on out there that you have to check out. Speaking of which, Dave Beatty, we had him on not too long ago, filmmaker. He did this Nimitz Encounter documentary. That's one of the things that there's a link to that in the Open Mind News on the front page. So go check that out because he just posted a new version and it's great. He's got more witnesses and lots of cool stuff going on there. Also, the International UFO Congress. Of course, there's always stuff going there. I told you guys to buy those lamps quickly because, of course, they all sold out, those levitating UFO lamps at the UFO Congress store. But we will be getting in more. Um, Also, some of you might have noticed that we will be at AlienCon. So I'm going to be speaking there. That's in in L.A., but uh, I'll be doing a bunch of talks there, June 21st to the 23rd. Uh, so that's going to be a lot of fun and as usual. And we bring tons of stuff. So if you want to come say hi or actually purchase the stuff uh, from us, that's, that's cool too. So you'll see the UFO Congress there and me doing talks. Otherwise, uh, let's see what else is going on. I think that's everything. But uh, we are posting more and more speakers As the time goes on, we've got some more exciting speakers to post for the UFO Congress. You'll definitely want to be there. And if you register this week, that means the week of what is today, the 27th. If you register by June 1st, you can use the code SAVE20, uppercase SAVE, I'm sorry, SAVE30, uppercase SAVE30, and you'll get 30 days off of multi-day passes. And you'll see that our passes are very affordable, especially compared to others out there. So this is going to be a lot of fun. I hope you guys show up and come say hi. It's always fun to hang out with you. That is it for today's show. I want to say thank you to Caleb Hanks for the opening and closed music. Thank you to Systematics for the bumper music. Thank you to Martin Willis of Podcast UFO for joining us with the news. And, of course, thank you to MJ Benias for being an a wonderful guest yet again on the show. And, of course, I want to thank you, the listeners, for listening. Guess what we got next week? That's right, the big show with Lou Elizondo, and so far everything's looking good. I think it's really going to happen, so uh, it looks like this will be the first interview post-show, so if the the unidentified show is going to air on Friday, I'm going to be interviewing him soon after that, and then uh, we'll post that next week for you all. So thank you all so much for listening. Until next time, adios muchachos.